This is JudoCast. We go to the mat and beyond with some of the most prominent minds in judo. Please welcome your host, a two-time Pan American champion, entrepreneur, and judo enthusiast, Chuck Jefferson. Welcome back to part two of the Adams interview. Today, we're going to start off with Pan American Judo champion and former Canadian Olympic team member, Nikki Adams. Nikki's going to share her take on what's leading the success from Judo Canada. And she's going to share her excitement for Canada's first ever world judo champion, Krista Deguchi, and much more. Let's jump right back into it. All right, joining me now, I have a special guest, Miss Nikki Adams. And for those of you guys that are unaware, I doubt there's many of you out there that are not, but uh, maiden name Nikki Jenkins. Um, and this is Neil's wife, who has been very involved in the judo business and the judo aspect of everything in the uh, neiladamsjudo.com and Neil Adams Effective Judo Fighting. And this is the uh, workhorse behind the scenes. But uh, Nikki, thank you very much for joining me today. It's good to have you. That's no problem, Chuck. Glad to be here. So, workhorse. I'm so, called the workhorse behind yeah. the man. The yeah. workhorse behind the scenes. There's always one of those. You know, I've got one in my house as well. Somebody that's always keeping me in check to make sure I'm doing the right thing. So, um, and she's beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. So, for those of you who do not know, Nikki is not just a uh, a a wife of world judo champion Neil Adams, but Nikki is a former Olympian herself, a 1996 Olympian from Canada. I believe a Pan American champion and multiple time Pan American medalist. And what did you win? The Canadian Nationals six or seven times? Seven times, yeah. Seven time national champion. So, so Nikki has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to uh, judo and the world of judo. Not, you know, she, she's not the recognizable face that Neil has become over the last 50 years of judo, but she is behind the scenes and very knowledgeable and has a lot of amazing input. And not only that, I was just talking with Neil a minute ago about some of the countries that I was that that I could predict that will be strong in the near future. And you know, you've got to be super proud because in the last ten years, the Canadian judo program has made strides. And like for me, like I know a lot of the Canadian players, and it's just awesome to see the success that the Canadian judo players have had. At one point, there was you know, there's always been you know, even back in the day, you had Nico doing well and. And, and and several others, but you know Keith Morgan that were getting medals at world levels, et cetera. But but now you've got a team of people that are all doing well between the women, the men, and um, I just want to see if you can give me your thoughts and and let me know how it feels to watch you know your former team do so well. Well, it's it's amazing. Now we've just got our first world champion. Well done, Christina. And uh, yeah, I was just so proud to to see that happen. And. And I mean, I know I've known Sasha since he was 15. He was uh, in Toronto the same time I was. So, you know, we, well, he attended the club I was coaching at. And so I've known him for a wonderful man and he's going to give his all. He's just got that personality that he is. I always knew he'd be a great coach because he's just got that empathy and he's, but he's got those, those boundaries in that, no, you'll do what you'll do this because I know what I'm talking about, but let's do it together. If you know what I mean, like he's, yeah, he's brilliant. And Nico, 
Uh, see, I got in trouble for saying Nico on radio before. Oh, I didn't <laughs> know that. <laughs> uh, no, no, totally. I wasn't supposed to do nicknames then. That was when I was commentating his match with Anui. Uh, the producer come in, no nicknames. Oh, right. Oh, no. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Teammate. So you were commentating so, yeah, um, You were commentating when he made the uh, Olympic final with Inoue. My very first commentary live, and it was, yeah, Nico and Inoue final at the Olympics. Wow. So, yeah, baptism by fire, that one. So you mentioned so, the, yeah, uh, the first exciting. world judo champion, but, you know, aside from the obvious of the world champion is that I believe in that weight category they're number one and number two right now. The, the Canadian girls yeah. are just knocking that out of the park. I mean, these guys, these guys are doing amazing. Well, I, I mean, I just love the, the way the whole team has come together and they've got this new national center, which is great. We, I mean, we always had Shidokan, which was the national center when I was there. And we always, it was tough fights there. I remember my first time coming in and it was three months of me every night after every practice throwing my judo kit in the in the rubbish you know like putting it into the trash can going that's it i'm done i'm i've had right. enough of this and then going back fishing it out next day back on the mat so three months of that until it clicked so it, it was tough it's hard going and i think the team has really gelled and, and what i love that they have that maybe or i probably know that i'm missing or i missed is that they go out there and we're on par. Whereas even though we're a big country, as in like Canada's a big country geographically, it's very small judo-wise. And right. so we turn up in Europe and just go, mm, do we really belong? You know, it was almost like imposter syndrome at right. that time, especially for myself. And then, then you know, fighters like Nico came through and he was training in France and he was training in Korea and Japan and that and sort of led the way that way in showing that, oh yeah, Canada can do this. Maybe there is something here. And then Keith again at Cano Cup got the silver and we went, wow, yeah, okay, this is possible. Glass ceiling is shattered. And, and you're watching those people, as soon as they shatter their own glass ceiling, then you think, okay, all right, this is possible. And I think the whole Canadian team has taken that on board. I, I just, I, I well up with pride just seeing on the mat, shoulders back, head held high going, yeah, I belong here. I'm the same on par with you guys. So that, that's brilliant. Yeah. So from a technical standpoint, I'm not sure how closely you follow the inner works of, you know, Judo Canada and some of the things that they've done, but I know Nicholas Gill has, I, I believe he's like the CEO of Judo Canada now. And CEO now, yeah. So he was yeah. a coach for a long time. And now, you know, I think that that's what Canada has done from the outside looking in. They've done a very good job of, of keeping their elite Judo players involved in many ways. And I know now they have like province coaches and I don't know if you know much about the system that they've employed over the last 10 years. If you can kind of give us a little bit of insight to what you've seen or what changes that they've made behind the scenes that you think may have some correlation to some of their recent success. I think it does come down to the coaches and educating those coaches and recognizing the talents and skills in those coaches. So they've opened up Lethbridge. They have the, the West Western area center of excellence now, as well as the Montreal. We, when I was fighting, it was Montreal and Dove, you know, and that's, if you wanted to go to the next level, you went to Shidokan and that wow. was, that was it. And now, um, like I, I was on the same team with you and Burton. So, Burton, where'd that come? 
you know, being, <laughs> and uh, we were on the same wrong country. <laughs> yeah, wrong country, totally. Um, and he he was with me in Montreal as well. And and Yohan has always been just such a hard worker and a skills maniac, like just a, an absolute technician. So to have that sort of leadership over in Lethbridge and, and in the western side of the country, because geographically we are so big and that's our challenge. So it, it, it really was a no-brainer to have two, if not three, um, different centers of excellence and being led by top technicians. And that's where it is. It's not only just having a coach, it's having an instructor there. And so you can be the best motivational coach in the world, but if you can't get the skills, if you can't disseminate those skills and break them down to how each individual understands them and, and get the feedback from them and listen, not only just talk, it's, it's, you're not going to succeed. Whereas I think both Sasha and Yoan are, are doing that. And the, and the coaching team at, at Montreal, I think they really have, they're really invested into their players and into their players' ability. Like when I was coaching in, in Toronto, I, I said to my small little team, look, it's yeah, sure, I want you to win. We all want to win. We love winning. But what I want you to show everybody out there is how you win. And I want quality technique. I want quality judo. And I want class. I want class act out there. And, and I think the Canadians are coming on strong with that. They're Good. doing it in a really classy, understated way, which is, um, yeah, it's, it's just going to thrive, get better and better, I think. For sure. You know, from an, from an American standpoint, we look at Canada and you guys have the same geographical challenge that we do. You know, we're a very large country sure. and there's obviously political disconnect in many different ways. But the fact that Canada has seen success and they're, they're getting these, you know, for lack of a better term, I guess we're talking about regional training centers that are not just regional training centers on their own, but they, there must be some sort of support system from the National Center in, in Montreal. And there's obviously, I'm assuming there's lots of, you know, correspondence and, and uh, you know, they're working together in many ways. And I think that there's, there's no other way to do it because of that geographical challenge. You know, we're so far apart, your youth teams, it's rare that people are going to move when they're teenagers to move to Montreal. You know, you may get a few, but in general, you've got to have these centers that are just, you know, located in the population centers where people are going and, and those teams are working tightly with the national training center. I, I don't see any other way around that. Well, it is, it is an absolute decision when you, you, I mean, after high school, that was my decision is that, all right, I want to go to, I tried for two Olympics, lost by a split decision on that one. But, uh, and then went, decide, okay, 96, that's where I want to be. But um, I'm not like a, a lot of judo players where, like, let's take Neil, for instance, he's 100%. He went, moved on to London at 16, 100% judo. I'm going to judo first, work second or whatever, but always judo first. And for myself, for my mental well-being, I needed, I'm a plan B person. I always need a plan B so school was my plan B. So I went to university, but I didn't go full time. I went just enough to keep my status and and judo was priority. So I knew up to Olympics, I would do judo first. And then after the Olympics, I was going to go school first, judo second. So that was always my plan. But I knew I had to move out of Manitoba and move to Montreal in order to make that next step. 
with having these net, these regional centers, it's it's going to help the athlete a little bit more that way that you don't have to. I mean, my my plane ride was two and a half hours away from home. You know, it was do I go home for Christmas or not? You know, that, right. that kind of thing. And and those are big. That's a big deal. Whereas and when we came to training camps here in um, in Europe, we were all just so envious that they could go home in between, you know, right. and we'd have to sit there and just, okay, we're going to run around this park all week, you know, until the next training camp. And, and so, yeah, that, that was, that was a hard pill to swallow as well, but you know, financially for the federations, it, it made sense. And I just saw on, um, cause yeah, that with region, regional centers, they could, there's always a danger of becoming little cliques or this is, you know, the West versus the East. And, and I don't, don't think that's happening from what I can see. I mean, the, I just saw that they had a training camp. Montreal came over to Lethbridge and they had a training camp in the Lethbridge Centre. So keeping pretty smart, those guys, I have to say. They're keeping those links uh, going and smooth and flowing and, and keeping that team atmosphere, not this West versus East, you know, and right. which, which can happen. Well, I mean, it's kind of nice to see because I think everybody in the Americas really has the same geographical challenge as far as, you know, we're so far away from the epicenters of judo in Europe or Asia. So, you know, everybody over here, the Americans, the Canadians, you know, the Central Americans, the South Americans, other than Brazil, there's not a lot of big population judo centers in South America. But the Brazilians at least have a big judo population internally to where they can get the training. But all of us have to make that investment both commitment wise at some point where we say, hey, I got to leave home to make it to the next level. And then there's the obviously the the financial commitment necessary to, you know, pick up and just, you know, move abroad or, you know, move to wherever the training is going to be. But I would say Brazil, and I'm, I'm going, I'm just assuming here, I'm going to do a broad stroke here. But from what, what I can see is that with Brazil, if you move to the center, there's a better way of life, right? There's another different incentive there in that um, you're coming out of the favelas into a warm bed three meals a day. Do, do you know what I mean? You're, right. you're getting a better way of life just by being good at doing judo in, in Canada and the States. We are leaving the comfort of our homes where, you know, mom and yeah. dad taking us everywhere. And now, now suddenly we've got to find our own food. We've got to steal milk off of doorsteps and you know, get a job. What, you know, like all that it's, it's a whole reversal. Suddenly we're taken from home comforts into what do you mean i gotta look after myself you know that kind of thing it's interesting to hear you verbalize that because i think in the back of my mind that's always the thought we understand that we're making that commitment but we you know we're, we're up against people that are being taken from uncomfortable places to more comfortable places while that's pursuing right. judo at a high level and then a lot of the westernized you know like especially you know places that have small judo populations and we're not doing this for money like we're leaving oftentimes the comfort or we're choosing some people are choosing not to do university full time, they're kind of going to partially do it so they can kind of make this big commitment to this thing yeah, that, oh, will, no. <laughs> that will never give us any financial, you know, comfort. But it's something that we just do for the love of the game. So, some, hey, first world problems, isn't it? <laughs> it is for sure. But it, it is an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I wanted to get you on because I know uh, Neil does a lot of talks, and everyone wants to get a piece of Neil's mind because he's just so knowledgeable. But 
I know the real brains behind the man, and I, I wanted to get you on uh, here. This is why I love you, Chuck. This yes. is why I love you. Hey, but no, yes. it's it's it really is an honor to watch the Canadian team, and like like those of us to the south. Hey, we're big fans of like the Canadians and all their success. Like we um, treat you guys like uh, you know, you guys are, you guys are you know, it's the comfort of home. Like watching people that we knew and we grew up with, and a like, I competed with a lot of these guys sure. that are part of the coaching staff now, and it's just really cool to see that. This country that, you know, didn't have the strength 20, 10 years ago that they see the success like it's possible. You know, there, it's possible to make the right changes, yeah. you know, internally that can, you know, result in some very big success for your program. So. And, and you know what's really uh, what probably I'm more proud of with them o- over on the top of their success is that I can see the connection between them and the coaches and I can see that they're listening and that they're taking it all in and that they're willing to learn good judo and and take technique to heart and always upskill and that's what um that's what you know both Neil and I that's what we're in business doing you know we're trying to upskill the world the whole community of of judo is trying to get people to always learn and leave your ego at the door you know just try and try something new and and I can see that with the Canadians and it, it, they are the epitome of, of showing they're showing that is that it's a success once you learn to take that technique and hone it right not just be a good fighter i mean watching like wow. I, I was telling neil earlier the the videos you guys are doing and i i know you guys you know earn a living and you guys do a, a professional job of presenting judo to the world but you guys also give out a lot of amazing content for free and you know people are out around the world especially right now when we're away from the mats and you know, it's it's a real big honor to be able to sit there and watch a video from Neil Adams. You know, it's one thing to go to YouTube and just search up how to do a move, but when you get to listen to Neil articulate the lesson, it's it's really enjoyable for a lot of people out there. And I know that when you do these things, uh, sometimes it goes, you know, it, it's there's not a lot of thankful people out there. But you know, just to let you know that people do appreciate, and I hope you guys can continue to do what you're doing. You know, providing the world with this quality instruction and. And uh, you know, move people to the next level of judo. Oh, thanks, Chuck. That's cool. I wish you guys could see Neil recording the the tactical Tuesdays, and and he gets a real kick out of them. I can see, hey, well, especially because the, there's no events going on. Right. Hey, well, the behind the scenes thing. You got to get you know your daughter or somebody to get a behind the scenes video. You can cut it up because I'm sure some of it's not pretty. But hey, it would be fun. <laughs> it would be fun yeah. to watch the behind the scenes uh, of what happens in the uh, Neil Adams dojo the home dojo when you guys are making these videos Lots the of adams fun. family the, wait for it the yeah. adams family there we go well nikki thank you very much i got a few more things for neil before we go i want to put him on the spot no and get some cool stuff but thanks again nikki and i look forward to seeing you again hey it's always a pleasure chuck always a pleasure all right thank you the family that throws together grows together For anyone who has brought Nikki and Neil in for a seminar knows what an amazing team they really are. They both have that love for the game that rubs off on everyone around them. Today, we're going to circle back to a chat with Neil about his time as the national coach for Belgium. We will then cover a range of development topics, including the pros and cons of hiring coaches from abroad that can bring in new perspectives and help solve internal political problems. We will then finish up the interview with a discussion about the Olympic Games. Neil has more Olympic experience than most anyone we could imagine. He will give us some advice on what he thinks we can do as a country that can make sure that LA 2028 is a huge success for American judo.
thank you again, Neil, for all of your time. I want to be respectful of your time, and we're going to go through this next segment you know, pretty quickly, but I got a couple of things. I was just talking with Nikki on the success of the Canadian Judo program, which I'm sure in your household, you hear lots of cheers and lots of things going on when the Canadians are doing well, and it's got to be a lot of fun to you know, watch the Canadian Judo program that it's always been good. There's always been good players in Canada, but in, in recent years, they've really developed not only as individuals, but as a as a big team as a whole. So I wanted to 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 reach out to you. And we talked earlier about all the experience and 50 years of judo of different things. At one point, I, I believe you were hired to be the national coach of Belgium. And it, could you tell us a little bit about your experiences working for another national governing body or, or another you know national team? And when was that? And uh, let us know how it was. What, what was it like? I think we came back about 10, 10 years we've been back. Uh, from Belgium Uh, but it was a great experience you know everything that happened when we were there wasn't a great experience in as that I had same problems that you would have at home with the uh, funding bodies that that, you know people where where you get the money from and the ones that uh, you know that give the money out try to dictate uh, they what basically what they want is medals first, and then they want you know they want immediate success, uh, and then they'll give you money to get more success. You know, but it unfortunately with an any kind of national team, it takes longer than a four year period. So my big regret is that I only had four years with them, and so what I did there because I had similar situation. We were talking about it earlier about having smaller groups and uh, I had a small group there that were uh, that I was developing and I thought well what what can I do to make this group better uh, so from a technical point of view I, I had no problem we were working from a technical point of view every day but they needed randery and they needed international experience so in the end what happened was I got a select group of them and we just traveled to all the camps, you know. So I had two years with them like that. And some of them weren't the ones that the Belgian Federation, you know, kind of had in their mind. I had other people, you know, because I was working with them, right? Right. So I didn't always make decisions that they wanted. And it was some of them were a bit odd. But that group, when I left them, Unfortunately, I only had four years, you know, so I, I mean, I had uh, Amelie Rossinu, who was, uh, you know, I thought she had real potential to become Olympic medalist. I worked with her a lot. You know, she became under 23 European champion. She was, you know, and then all of a sudden my contract came to an end and I couldn't finish the job. You know, she has remained, as have quite a few of those youngsters that came through who became uh senior champions uh a year later two years later and then they carried on to the next olympic games afterwards just wish that i'd been able to carry it right the way through with them i wish that i'd had eight years with belgium and not four years i don't think four years was enough it wasn't enough for them and it wasn't enough for me but i had some great experiences with the people that i was with and uh and i'll never forget it so I'm, I'm curious as to, so you were hired, this is, you know, you said 10 years ago, and I, I know it's always been happening. You know, you, you mentioned Ilias is now, you know, working with the Uzbekistan national team. 
I've recently seen things like I know even a small country like Luxembourg is trying to hire coaches for both uh, the under 15s, the under 17s. So they're, you know, this small judo nation, they're looking to hire coaches. I saw just a couple of days ago, um, there was, uh, who was it? It was, uh, there, there was another, it was Austria. Austria is looking for a national coach right now. So yeah. there, you know, I was thinking if this solves some kind of problem, you know, when we're talking about developing, con- you know, judo in these countries that have, you know, a lot of the political infighting often, you know, ruins a lot of things, you know, in, in America, we're trying to build these programs. I was talking with Nikki about, you know, centralized training, and I know that has its pros and cons, and I'll, I'll let you get to that, you know, in a minute. But do you think that having a coach from, you know, ex, you know hiring externally from another nation could be a benefit to a country that's trying to make it to the next level? When you bring in somebody that doesn't have any political ties, there's obviously challenges, but, you know, what's your experience with seeing these foreigners yeah, uh, one more thing before I turn it over to you is the um, what is it the the uh, Korean Chung who is the world champion and uh, he was brought in to coach the Chinese team I think in 2016 and had yeah. some success right with uh, uh, Chang I think is the guy who upset everybody at the 90 kilogram division came home with the bronze medal so uh, you know seeing this Korean coach a lot of people are like hey that, wait a minute that guy was coaching the Koreans before now here he is with the Chinese national team and they're on the podium and. You know, what are your thoughts on bringing people in and what do you see a lot of it around the world? You see a lot of it. And I think that it can be a great advantage bringing some new blood in if it's used, if they're used in the right way. And I don't think it's always the right decision. We, uh, what happens is I think that what we need to do is co- each country has to needs to concentrate more on their coach education of their former athletes. Do that better. Because, you know, putting, bringing somebody out of competition and sticking them straight into the top job or, you know, one of the top coaching positions without bringing them through uh, the process of, of learning the, the craft of, of, of coaching craft, you know. And it, it is a process. You know, the French, they spend, uh, they have to do the three-year um, coaching process before they're even considered to be sent out with anybody. And it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're Teddy Renner or, you know, he'll still have to do it. You don't get shoved straight into a top position. So I think that a lot of countries can make, including the UK, can make uh, um, mistakes by pushing top fighters straight out of uh, competition into top positions. I think we need to concentrate more on coach education and as a process of uh, educating our best fighters, our best fighters. So, I mean, you've got some great coaches in in the United States. You know what I mean? Using your top uh, coaches, uh, I think, should be the first priority that you have there, but only if they're brought through in the right way and pay them the right amount of money to do it. Right. That, I think, is very important. And I think that, then sometimes by bringing an outside coach in can really spark it up. And I think, but it has to be for the right reasons. And it has to be for the right reasons and also with the right background. You know, just bringing somebody in isn't a guaranteed success. Right. So working with like uh, in the UK, you obviously don't have the gigantic geographical challenge that like the Canadians do with people that are, you know, 3000 miles away from each other. There's obviously challenges because not like everybody lives in London. 
Um, and same thing, like when you were in, in Belgium, did you find any pros or cons or, you know, like when you were coaching the national team in Belgium, was it mandated that everybody on the national squad come to the training center on a regular basis or how often were you working with everybody that was actually on the national team? The big problem that you have in Belgium, of course, is that you have a split country. So you have the Flemish and then you have the French and they have two different federations, okay. uh, totally different. The only time they come together is if uh, if you have European championships or world championships uh, or, you know, it's a mixed um, uh, competition uh, for qualification for Olympic Games. But um, other than that, it's two separate countries. Wow. And I remember Robert Vandervaal said to me, he said, whatever you do when you come in, he said, don't think you're going to bring them all together because it won't happen because it's a history. They are two different uh, uh, mentalities in two different countries. Right. Uh, and But the first thing I tried to do, because they all came together for one national training every Tuesday uh, in Brussels. So what I wanted, I saw the way that that worked and I went, Tell me why we're not doing this three, four times a week. Mass people, you know, why, why are we only doing it once a week? You know, we can go away from each other afterwards, but that was what I wanted to do, you see. So straight away, people were going, yeah, but we, we, we can't do that. And I said, why? Why can't I do that? Let me do it. And, you know, they, we, at one stage, Emily Rasanu, under 48 kilograms and and uh, also, uh, who am I thinking from the French side? Uh, she eventually became Olympic medalist. I'll think of her name second. Um, who am I thinking? French Carly. Uh, Van Snick. Yeah. Uh, Charlene Van Snick. So they were head to head. Charlene Van Snick and Amelie Rossinou were head to head. Same results. European, all events, same results. So... We had a big meeting. We were at this meeting and they said, uh, we, we can't decide. They couldn't decide. Two hours in the meeting, three hours in the meeting. So I said, just fight them off. Oh, we, we've never done that. I said, well, let's do it. <laughs> First, let's televise it, fight them off, at best of three, behind closed doors, winner goes. So in the end... We had a behind-closed-doors fight-off. Amelie lost, and uh, Amelie came up to me. Uh, so she lost two matches, right? So uh, And she came to me. She went, well, that's that then. I said, but at least, you know, and it was a quiet drive home, but at least we right. knew. Because I was in charge. I was, you know, and, and the thing was is that I was in charge of the uh, Flemish side. All right. So and I worked very well with the French side. So they didn't like that either because I, I wanted this connection, you know. And uh, so uh, so I had my problems. But and uh, the problem was with the funding uh, part of it. But uh, it was other than that, I worked great with the French. I had great, uh, uh, a great uh, feeling with the um, Flemish side. So I had a good experience. It didn't all go my way, but it was a good experience. Right. So in the UK, have you guys had much success getting the national team together on a regular basis? Like currently, do the national team members, do they get together often or are they 
living all over the country? I think that Nigel Donoghue is trying to get everybody together uh, on a regular uh, basis at the moment, and he's working very hard to do that. You know, so they have a national centre, and I, as I've said to Nigel, you know, I just I, he knows how I feel about it. I just, you know, he they need the randori, they need the bodies. It's the same everywhere, isn't it? You know, they 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 do need them. I think we could, you know, I, I know that you you were interviewing. Nikki, about the Canadians, you know, I mean, uh, they, they were somebody that I didn't mention, actually, and I should have done, um, as one of the major nations that has come forward. And, you know, a, a lot of that is, uh, I think, uh, because of uh, Sensei Nakamura, and he, he absolutely um, pushed uh, Nicholas Gill uh, and gave him the, uh, the uh, education and then the power uh, right. to do what he, he felt was right. And I think that Nicholas Gill has done an amazing job. I really do. I think that Canadian team, in depth, everybody that they're putting out at the moment is somebody that is a contender. Amazing. Right. You know, Nicholas Gill has always been a fan of the game. You know, when I was coming up, he was at the tail end of his career. And I remember sitting, because, like, you know, a lot of times I'd go to these tournaments, I would be by myself or, you know, maybe with one of their American kids. So I, I would hang with the Canadian guys a lot. And uh, I remember Nicholas Gill, you know, even at some smaller events, you know, at like the Trey Torrey or like the Guido Cieni tournament they used to do. And Nick would be up there in like these big divisions. You know, there's like 60 people per division and Nick's up there doing the brackets. He does the brackets for every division for the whole tournament. He literally sat there. I remember up in the stands he had a source of knowledge for every judo player out there. I remember him giving me tips even. He was never my coach, but there was times where he knew I was out there alone. And, you know, if I would face somebody I didn't know, like Nick knew them. You know, he was just a fan of the game. And it really shows now with his experience and and how that love of the game that he had coming up is turning into knowledge that's helping him build a program that's successful today. And they've given him the power to do it. Right. And and I'm glad, and, and I I'm sure that he he didn't have, I, I'm sure he demanded that, you know, and and quite rightly so too, you know what I mean? Live by the sword, fall by the sword, but you know he's doing everything right at the moment, and uh, credit to him. Right. So, um, big news, 2028, the Olympics are coming to Los Angeles, back in the United States. Uh, hasn't been in the United States since 96 in Atlanta. Prior to that, it was uh, 84, which uh, games that you competed in in Los Angeles. So we all know that the Olympics gives sport in general this like revival of energy in many ways. And for me, I'm a huge fan of judo. I love judo. I want to see judo become more than it is here in the United States. Um, I got my first... Uh, taste of the Olympics in 1984, I was actually an eight-year-old kid, but I actually got to go watch. So I watched Yamashita fight in the 84 Olympics, which was really cool. And I wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit because you guys have more recently run the Olympic Games in the UK. You guys had the Games in 2012. And I wanted to see if there was something, if you guys, was there any obvious impact that the Games had on judo specifically? Was there any kind of renewed energy you know, going into the games, obviously, and what happened after the games with the sport of judo in the United Kingdom? I think that everybody was a little bit nervous. You know, we had the Olympic Games in the UK and we were nervous that we were going to do it right. And we did it amazing. I, and I'm, I'm not just saying that because I'm British, you know, but I, I, I thought it was an amazing Olympic Games. I think every Olympic Games is different. 
and it's how it's what you make it and the atmosphere that you make it i i like los angeles i thought was better than uh, atlanta i thought that atlanta tried to go bigger and better and bigger and better isn't always the thing to do and i i think that you just need to make it better right and and i i think that you know great britain made it british and I think that every Olympic Games, and I've been to a lot of the Olympic Games now, and every one that I've been to has been totally different in their atmosphere, you know. And uh, I mean, it's not every country that you see the Queen uh, uh, parachuting in to right. the stadium, <laughs> you know. What I mean, and uh, you know, and James Bond following her, but you know, it, it makes it makes it different, makes it special. I think that it's gave so much to uh, us in Great Britain afterwards, you know, and uh, we were able to get some medals there as well. And I think that medals help, obviously, and they create interest. And they also create money, as you know. You know, if you get medals, then they enable you to do more for the next Olympic cycles and stuff like that. So they do create interest. And I think that Los Angeles, you know, uh, L.A. will be a great Olympic Games again, I'm sure, you know, I just, I think that just make it special. It doesn't have to be big and special. Right. You know, I think with the money you're talking about, this is something that's pretty obvious for people that are in the know and understand how it works. But even a lot of uh, judo players or judo coaches in the United States, they they completely forget that the budget, uh, a vast majority of like the American judo budget is from the USOC, which is a result of results you know so when we had a good run you know between you know ronda got a medal in 2008 and then you had you know kayla doing her thing and marty and travis and the budget from the usoc directly to usa judo was actually doing quite well then better in in better than previous years and without those medals we're not going to see the same investment from the usoc in judo so rightfully so i mean we do need to find a way to get medals so for me, I'm looking for ways like I, I know you said you wish you had more than four years in Belgium. Well, right now we have more than four years to produce something for 2028. And the big advantage that we have as the Americans and the home team is that we're going to get a full team into the game. So, you know, we haven't had a full team since, you know, the, the, the games in Atlanta, probably, you know, I, I don't think we've had even close to a full team. So it's going to be the first time in a long time that the Americans get a full team and I want to see that what we can do as a country to push judo to really spark some growth and some interest, you know, going into that. So I wanted to ask for you, if you had any advice that we, meaning LA 2028, can learn from London 2012, anything that you did specifically in the world of judo, how you promoted it, anything that you think that we can do to achieve the most we can to help push the sport of judo in the United States further in 2028? Well, not so much for Britain, but Brazil, actually. And, and I, I, I pick up Brazil because what they tend to do in Brazil, the Brazilians, is they tend to prep their youngsters six to eight years before. So I see some of the juniors that start to come through on the uh, international circuit and they're only youngsters coming out of the junior worlds and things like that, but they put them out early. And I, I think that that is something to look at. But I, I notice, and I have noticed on occasions, that the U.S. team that comes out, because of the selection criteria, because I know that 
it, it gets selected from different areas and things like that. A lot of the US team that have, uh, um, in certain cases haven't had international experience of any kind. Right. You know what I mean? So I think they need to look at that. I, I'm just being totally honest here. For sure. Right? All right. But I, I would look at the uh, selection criteria, make sure it's a nationally selected criteria, because I think that that's important, not an area selected criteria. And also um, that, you know, some of them, I, I know on a couple of occasions that I've talked to a couple of the uh, guys that are out there, are totally not been prepared for the people that they're going to fight. So on one occasion, I think one of them that they were going to fight was, no, it was, it was Santaraya. Uh, yeah. uh, he, he was about to fight Zantaria, and I overheard a couple of them talking, saying, oh, I got some guy from the Ukraine. <laughs> and Some guy. <laughs> yeah, just some guy. And, uh, you know, I think that you, you, you have to have preparation, right? And, and you have to be prepared, and you have to know that you're going in fighting this guy who's a bit special. And I think that... Um, if I went in now, uh, I'd need to have, I think what you need is a Nicholas Gill in there that is able to dictate the selection process. And uh, and I'll just say off the top of my head here, but I mean, I think that you need somebody that's going to be strong with it. And, you know, so that it's, it's people that he knows are going to come into the fold and into that team. And people that he can bring in or she can bring in uh, and to work with uh, internationally and uh, special groups. But yeah. I, I think that um, the fact that you're so spread out is probably going to work against you. Yeah, we definitely have some challenges, but that's why I'm kind of excited to work and not just work, but like I'm kind of trying to, you know, kind of poke at things right now because we, we do have time right now. We have a little bit of time. Um, obviously, we have Olympics next summer and we have another one in, in uh, four years from now. But you know, the, that's not a lot of time, you know, three, four years is not a lot of time, but eight years is enough time to where I think that if we made some good decisions, we can, we can do, you know, make some impact and, and make the right decisions that can, you know, set us up to be somewhere better than we might be if we just sit around doing the same things we've always done. So I agree. I mean, you, you haven't, uh, probably, you haven't got your Kaylas and your, uh, Jimmy Pedro's and your, uh, and, uh, Travis, you know, you, you haven't got these, you know, you're having to kind of draw on what's there at the moment, you know, and trying to develop them. Right. And uh, so I think that it, it is a challenge. But uh, yeah, if you get somebody to work on that eight eight year process rather than the next four years or the three years up to the next Olympic Games and then the Olympic Games after that. Right. Well, Neil, this has uh, been a lot of fun. I want to be respectful of your time. I know I've been we've been going for quite some time already and um, you probably haven't had dinner yet. So. I'm going to fire two more questions at you. This one is going to be super fun because um, you are a big fan of judo and you're, you know, you're deep into it. Do you have any specific matchups, regardless of category, anybody you're excited, any kind of certain matchup you were looking forward to seeing next summer in Tokyo? I'm not sure who's going to go 66 kilos, but um, uh, so either Abe or Amiriyama. Okay, so either either... Miliyama uh, Abe against Santaraya in the final. That would be a nice one. 
That that would be super fun. When you talk about going for Ippon, um, these guys, they know how to do it. You know, Zantaraya, obviously the Japanese guys. So that's uh, that's definitely a matchup. Anybody that Zantaraya is fighting, you typically are going to get an Ippon. Whether he's, you know, because he does get thrown sometimes, but he gets thrown because he, he does. goes for it. Lots of fun well, for the fans. Interesting, because uh, when I was doing my thing about him, you know, I say, people were saying, oh, he's impossible to throw. He's not. Right. He's just really difficult to get on the back, you know. And uh, there was an interesting match between him and Abe. And Abe literally kept him by the shoulders and put him onto his back, which was uh, remarkable. Yeah, that's almost but, the only way to do it. It's tough to do. So, so last question. Uh, you and Nikki have an amazing family. And um, I want to see if I can get some parental advice from you. What lessons have you learned from judo that make you a better parent? And what lessons from parenting make you a better judo coach? Well, I, I think that w when I became a dad, yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> Appreciate that one. I think when I became a father, that I, I uh, compassion and uh, I think that um, I realized that it wasn't, it's not, it, you realize that it's not all about you, you know. So I, my family became the most important thing to me. Uh, and I think that uh, as because of that, I think I've become a better person. I think since I've met Nick, you know, she brings the best out in me. And, you know, so she makes me a better person. And I think that that makes me a lot, a lot more thoughtful with my coaching as well. You know, so I think that that relates back to me becoming a better teacher. And, uh, you know, and uh, so I, you know, she, she says to me sometimes, you know, not everybody is like you. Not everybody wants to go in the gym every single day. Not everybody can just stop drinking like that. Not everybody can stop sugar. Sugar was the hardest thing. It was more difficult than alcohol wow. to stop. Yeah, I know. I, it's a chocoholic. But anyway, <laughs> um, she said, not everybody can do that. And I said, well, I know that. And I realized that. And I, I think that I, I realized that, um, and I think that Ilias, Iliadis has got to realize that not everybody can train like him, all right, that not everybody's got that kind of mentality. So you become a little bit uh, more sympathetic to other people's needs. Right. Well, Neil, it has been an absolute pleasure to have, you know, both you and Nikki here today. Again, I want to thank you so much for, you know, spending your evening. We did go for a long time. We're going to make this a two-part episode so we can uh, blast that over the next couple of weeks. But um, I'm super thankful for one that you gave me the motivation last summer to kind of get off my seat and actually make this podcast happen. And uh, it's been going here for a couple of months now and I'm having a great time doing it. But it's uh, it's an honor to to get, you know, someone like you on the screen in front of me that I can, you know, pick your brain. And, you know, I'm trying to become the best coach I can be. I want to share, you know, knowledge and not just knowledge, but like knowledge that's been proven over the years. You know, you've had a lot of success in lots of areas of life. And, and I think all the judo people around the world really appreciate that and, and enjoy hearing your stories and you motivate a lot of people out there and I just want to uh, thank you for everything and I look forward to uh, doing this again sometime and I look forward to hearing your voice next summer in the Olympics and uh, you know hopefully big things happen in the sport of judo for you and your family. Chuck it's been an absolute pleasure as always and uh, you know I love your podcast your podcast is uh, fantastic and it's going to go from strength to strength I promise you you'll be the voice of judo then Hey, well, He's after my job. 
I would love to be your assistant sometime. So you let me know when we can make that happen. I'll be there anytime. I, I, I'm going to make it happen. I promise you that. Absolutely. All right. Neil, I do appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you again. Take care, my friend. Thank you for listening to JudoCast. Please remember to hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. For show notes and additional content, visit judocast.com. That's J-U-D-O-Cast.com.